So because uh, because in Christ alone is true, then who you say I am is true, and that's always going to be the order uh, of everything. And there's a season of the church calendar called Lent, and we're kind of uh, you know two thirds of the way into that, and. Um, Christians all around the world have uh, set their sights on Holy Week, and there's a journey to get there. And so Lent is modeled after Jesus' 40 days in the desert uh, of, of him fasting and praying. And so it's a season of fasting and prayer for the church. And uh, believers all, all around the planet have been, have been doing this for a long, long time. And it's just one of those things that when practiced deeply and practiced well... Uh, by the time Palm Sunday gets here, like you're just you're you're chomping at the bit for Palm Sunday, and then the darkness of Holy Week as you head toward Friday, and the heaviness that is there, and the awkwardness of Saturday, and the amazingness of Sunday, and so uh, as as a church that's kind of you know we've just recently united and we've been kind of focused on that um, on as far as what we're going to study on Sunday mornings. Last week we started in this passage. It'll be a three-week thing, and so last week, today, and then Bruce is going to preach uh, the last part of it on next Sunday, and then we have Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday, so we're, we're getting close. Um, and so what I would like to do today is, is quickly and kindly, uh, not kindly, carefully review last week, uh, but kind of dive a little bit deeper into the examples that Jesus gives us here. So let's read the, read the whole passage, uh, starting in verse 15 of chapter 4. I'm sorry, verse 16 of chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and uh, as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus goes to his hometown, to his home church, so to speak, and um, has the opportunity to, uh, to ex- explain the scriptures, teach on the scriptures, because it, by this point he is a rabbi. And so they knew him as like the carpenter's son, and he returns, and they're like, oh, we have a rabbi with us, let's let the rabbi teach. And they probably weren't ready for what he was really saying, which is, yeah, this this prophecy that uh, of Isaiah. So if you want to do the back study, it's Isaiah 61. This prophecy uh, of Isaiah is about the Messiah that's coming. The, this passage that you're very familiar with, that you've known for a long time, that you've been um, hanging on to, praying, asking God to hurry up and like let this happen. Uh, this has been fulfilled today in your hearing. So that would have, like, it, they were already, like, leaning in a little bit to listen to what he had to say. That would have really caught their attention. But how it caught their attention is, is a little bit different than probably how it catches our attention. So last week, you know, kind of looked in, focusing on verse 18, about good news to the poor. So good news to the poor is only, uh, that news is only good if you are poor. 
And so what does it mean here to be poor? Well, it's not exclusively about financial poverty. It's about, uh, it's about spiritual poverty. It's, it's those who are in desperate need of God's grace and God's help. And so if you have ever been to a point where you had, you had no money and you weren't sure where your next meal was going to come from or where you were going to stay that night, if it was that kind of poverty, you would be in desperate need of God's help in your situation. But there are other situations where we also need God's help. Uh, I referenced last week, you know, you go to, go to an emergency room, to the waiting room in an ER, you're going to find a lot of people there who are in desperate need of God's help and God's grace. So it doesn't just have to be finances. It could be all kinds of situations. We've all been in places where we're sitting there and we're like completely empty-handed with a solution, with where, what to do next, where do we go next, all these kinds of things. And we're looking at God and we're saying, God, I, I have nothing to offer in this situation. Uh, I just need you to graciously intervene and step in and, and like make a miracle happen. So Jesus says, okay, if that's you, if you are in that kind of, of poverty that you need God's grace, then I have good news for you. So what that means is that every single person who's ever heard these words is poor in the sense that he is meaning it. And so this news is good to them, to all of us. And so last week, I tried to basically just like, hey, let's just all make sure we understand that we are, that we are uh, the poor who are in need of his grace, that this good news is for us as well. So that's kind of a, that's Jesus, Jesus was kind of general in that, first, in that first statement in reading from Isaiah, good news to the poor. Then he gives some examples of what that looks like. He gets a little bit more specific. And, and so I want to look at the, the three different kinds of examples he gives. And then Bruce next week is going to talk about uh, proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor and what that would have meant. So zeroing in on verse 18, good news to the poor. And then he offers three kind of categories, maybe. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Okay, so the captives, the blind, and the oppressed. He's essentially, like, the, if you want to have just one word of what the good news is, is he's, he's, I'm, coming, I'm coming to bring freedom and liberty to you. That's what it is. So, verse 18 is where we're going to be, so we'll just, let's just put it on the screen, we'll just leave it. Liberty of the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. What are these specific examples pointing to I, in studying this, I kept coming across different scholars writing different things, and they all like to assign different meaning to these three things, to the point it was kind of frustrating. I'm like, can't y'all just agree on something so I can know what to say? Um, and in studying them all, the, there's, I just try to pull in different things, but also try to pull together, what do you see from the rest of Jesus' ministry? Like, this is, this is like a mission statement. He's like, I've come to do this. And then if you watch what plays out after that, I think you can retroactively go back and look and see what he was talking about here. So liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, set at liberty those who are oppressed. Let's look at those one at a time. Liberty to the captives. Okay, this is literally like people who are in prison. That's, that's, what, that's what this means, what the terminology means. And to them... Like, his audience that day probably thought about Old Testament Israel being captive by Assyria, Babylon, like those kinds of things. If you know the Old Testament story arc, that's probably what they would have thought of because that's probably what they thought Isaiah meant. 
liberty to the captives. And so um, it would have triggered a lot of political, military, uh, you know, nation versus nation kind of thing. And this kind of feeds the idea that they thought the Messiah was going to be this, this uh, like world leader, figure, deliverer type person. And so that's probably, I'm just guessing, that's probably what was triggered because when you look at how they were thinking of the Messiah, that kind of points in that direction. So they were probably either thinking that or in their current setting, they were probably thinking Rome. Because Rome, they felt very like oppressed and, and held down and almost captive in a sense to Rome. And so um, that's probably what they would have thought of. And, and if you were to try to even leap into modern like times and you were to try to think what... What is, what is holding us captive? There's all kinds of things we like to point to. Uh, if you start to ask people, hey, what's, what's, what do you think is wrong with the world today? You know? Like I had a conversation with someone this morning who he said, uh, like in his line of work, it's, it's none of you, by the way, he's a guy. And uh, he said in his line of work, uh, he said, I think the, bit, think the worst thing that's ever happened to us is smartphones. And he rattled off a bunch of reasons why I think smartphones are like the reason why America's falling apart, you know. And I was thinking, in prepping for this, I was just thinking of like all the different things that I hear people say or you see it on Facebook. And people are always trying to figure out what's gone wrong with the world and why does it, you know, why does this stink and why is this terrible and why did this happen and all that. Whether we're trying to assign a value to it or they were that day to put it on Rome or Assyria or Babylon, it's all completely misplaced. The captivity that Jesus is talking about here, I believe, based on his ministry that we see unfold, is, is the captivity of like sin and death. I think he's looking at people and he's saying, um, I've come to set liberty to the captives, to those who are in desperate need of God's grace, to, to be brought back to life from the spiritual death that is yours. I think he's looking at them and saying, hey, you don't know this, but you're dead. You're dead, but you think you're alive. And not only do you think you're alive, you think you're the most important person in the whole world. Like, that's how deceived you are. I'm sure there's like a zombie reference in there somewhere, but I'm not even going to mess with that. You are dead, but you think you are alive, and you're acting as though you're, the, you're like the most important figure in the universe. That is what has, like, you're captive to that. In the book of Romans, Paul talks about being enslaved to sin. Like, it's, it's literally, ha- it has you in captivity you are, there's nothing that you can do. And to go as far as to say, yeah, you're dead. Guess what a dead person can't do? They can't do anything. They can't do a single thing about their condition. And so there is no greater captivity than to be held captive by death because you, there's nothing you can do. It's unchangeable. And so Jesus has come and Jesus has said, Hey, guess what? If you're dead, uh, I can do something about that. Like I, I can free you from this spiritual death and I can free you from this bizarre belief that you have deep down that you're, everything revolves around you and you're the most important person in the world. That all the self-centered behavior that we see in ourselves and in our world and, and everything kind of revolves around us and all that whole, I can free you from that too. Not only can I make you alive, but then I can teach you how to live like you're alive. So he doesn't just come with this one solution. All you need to do is like be alive and then you'll be fine. He's like, no, I need to cross you from death into life and then I need to teach you what it really means to be alive, which you don't know. 
So the liberty that he comes to, to offer and to provide is so deep and like it's deep and it's wide and it impacts everything about us. And so the use of liberty, if you go back to the verse, to set at liberty those who are captive, um, this use of liberty, like this particular use of it, is typically connected to forgiveness of sin. Like if you look in, uh, elsewhere in Scripture. So here you are, dead in your trespasses and sins. What you need is the liberty, that freedom, that, sorry, hmm. you need the liberty that forgiveness provides. That is what sets you free. So when he says, I've come to bring you liberty, he's also saying, I've come to bring you forgiveness. I've come to set you right with God. And there is no, there's no better place to be. So here he's referring to those imprisoned by sin and in need of the freedom that forgiveness brings. And so that is good news to the poor. Second thing, in getting specific, he says, uh, recovering of sight to the blind. Now, again, speculating on what they would have heard. But in, in this day and in the Old Testament, anything that was wrong with you physically was interpreted as God's divine judgment on you and his disapproval of something about your life. You might remember the, the place where Jesus and his disciples are walking and they come upon a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples, they decide to have a theological debate, you know, right there in this guy's presence. They're like, hey, is it his fault or his parents' fault that this happened, you know? And I'm just amazed that Jesus didn't just turn them to dust right there. You know, like they just asked some bonehead questions, but that reflects how they were really thinking. Like that's what they were taught to bring is that, hey, if, if there's anything wrong with you physically, uh, if, whether, whether it was how you were born, something happened to you along the way, you got sick and died, all that kind of stuff, anything that you want to attach to it, it was like, oh man, you must have really made God upset. Well, Jesus says, hey, I've come to, bring reco- I've come to recover sight to the blind. Um, and again, this is them, th- that was them looking at the wrong source of the problem. Sin has made us dead. And the brokenness that we carry impacts us. Like it, It's holistic. It's spiritual and it's relational. And it's emotional and it's social and it's physical. It's a holistic brokenness. That when you are dead, you are dead in every area of your life. And, every, and all those different things that are going on, you carry that brokenness into it. And physically, that's a part of, of what happens. We were not created to, uh, to like grow older and older and older and older and then pass away. We weren't created to, to get sick. We weren't created to, to do any of those things. I mean, you just go down the list. Anything that's wrong with us physically, that was not what Eden was about. In chapters 1 and 2. That's because of chapter 3. And whenever we get sick, when, something, when we get a bad report from the doctor, when there's, when there's something going on that is, that is like, uh, difficult physically, it, it, it reminds us of, hey, we're ca- all carrying this brokenness forward. Jesus says, hey, I, I've not only come to heal you spiritually, I've come to restore you even down to your physical body. And does that mean that, you know, we, that everyone gets healed all the time? No? No? 
There's a part of us, like all eventually dying, that that's, that happens. That's a part of the story. That's a part of what goes on. But we have to know that that's not natural. It's common. It's like 100% of the people ever lived common, but it's not natural in the sense that that's not what God created for you. That was not the plan. So Jesus comes and he says, hey, uh, this, this physical struggle that you have, it's not going to be with you forever. It may be with you every moment that you walk this earth, but I'm bringing a new earth. I'm bringing a new kingdom. I'm bringing a forever earth, and on that earth, you will not have those issues. You will not have those struggles. In fact, you will never have a struggle or an issue ever. And so our physical problems remind us that we're broken, and it also reminds us that, that he has come to give us recovery of those things. Notice he says recovery of sight to the blind. He doesn't just say, I've come to bring sight to the blind. It's recovery. And recovery means, hey, I'm going I'm to bring you back to something. And what is he bringing you back to? He's bringing you back to the Garden of Eden, chapters 1 and 2. And so whether that healing comes temporarily now in this, in this life, or if we struggle with something all the way to the end, we know that on the other side of this, there is a completely different world for us because Jesus has come to free us from the brokenness that we carry. It's, it's holistic. His example here is physical. The same thing, though, we see applied to our emotions and our relationships and all the other kinds of things that when you look at his ministry, when he goes to someone and he heals them physically, he always ties the spiritual in with it, doesn't he? He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Rise, take up your mat, and go home. But all those people eventually died too. It's, it's both. So, recovery of sight to the blind finds a lot of landing points for us. If, the, if, if you have been set free from the captivity of sin in his first example... Now you are free, but you're carrying some of that kind of brokenness in all those other areas of life too. And he wants to breathe life and purpose into that as well. And I think he still heals. And you, you do too, I can tell. I think he wants us to come to him and say, I believe you can do this. If, if you don't, I, I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to praise you. But, but you tell us to ask and to seek and to knock. So I'm going to ask, and I'm going to seek, and I'm going to knock, and you do what you want to do. You do whatever is best. But I think he wants us to ask, and so maybe this morning, maybe we need to do some asking. Liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. Third one, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. This one sounds a lot like the first one, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like liberty to the captives. Like, isn't is he just getting poetic, you know, is Isaiah getting caught up in things? And is Jesus saying the same thing twice, just in a different way? And, uh, of course, there's, there's debate, but oppression seems different than captivity. You know, captivity is like, is I'm, I'm shackled to the wall in prison. Oppression, oppression has, a, has a different tone to it. Oppression seems to be more about... Those who should be able to live free, but they can't, for whatever reason. If you're in captivity, you can't live free. Oppression is like, you know, I should be able to do this, but I, I can't because of 
outside forces and sometimes it's inside forces. And this one might be the most relatable in the room. If you, if, you are a, if you are not a Christian, if you have never gotten to the point where you looked at Jesus and said, I need you to save me, then liberty to the captives, that's, that's your starting point. If you have physical problems and you want to come to the Lord and say, I need you to heal, heal me, I want, I'm claiming that for me, then that's where you are. But if, 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 you, if neither of those boxes are, ch- are checked for you in terms of you are a Christian, you're feeling fine physically, where, maybe oppression is where you are. Because, you know, you can, be, you can be brought back to life and resurrected and still be oppressed. Is there, are there things that keep us from living the free lives that Jesus has handed to us? I mean, it could be... I mean, of course I made a list because that's what I do, but... I mean, wouldn't you say that addiction would be oppression? You know someone that, that like has been saved by Jesus, they're, they are a new creation, but yet they're living like they were in captivity, like they were dead, because there is, there is a, a substance or a, um, a behavior pattern or a relationship. There's just something else that's going on. And so even though they are free, they aren't living free, that's oppression. Like you, just, you feel like the weight of something is on you. Sin patterns. I think various forms of social injustice would be here. You know, that we have, uh, we have brothers and sisters in countries around the world who um, are meeting in secret. Right? Maybe not right now. Maybe right now. I don't know. They're meeting in secret because their government will kill them if they find out that they're gathering for worship. You know? That's, a, that's oppression. Uh, there are, are, are folks who do not feel welcome in Christian churches in our country because of what they've done, what they've been through, what they look like, all those kinds of things. And so they won't even darken the doors of a church because they feel so judged. Could that be oppression? Could it be that sometimes Christianity is an oppressive force? I think we'd look at history and say, yeah, it can be. A lack of forgiveness in a relationship, that can be oppressive. You ever been there where you're, you're, just, you're just holding it, you know? Like someone has done something to you and you want to make them pay. And you want to make them pay so bad that you can't even really sit through a worship service and sing about God's forgiveness, and yet you're withholding it. And so it's, it just keeps you immobile. You could be wounded. There could be idolatry issues where you're, you're looking to something other than God to find your security and your fulfillment. Comparison could be there. Uh, a life out of order can be there where the wrong things are, are taking like precedence in your life. I mean, there could be so many different things. And Jesus has come and he said, hey, not only can I cross you from death into life, but I can help, you, I can help rid you of the other like, weird things that, are, that have you oppressed, that have you um, immobile, that have you fearful, that have you just... Whatever's keeping you from living what Jesus would call the abundant life. He says, hey, I, I got liberty for that too. I'm not just here to resurrect you. I'm here to teach you how to live and to free you from all the other junk that comes along too. Good news to the poor. Good news to those in desperate need of his grace and his help. Whether it's salvation, whether it's What's going on physically, whether it's emotional, 
It's social. It's whatever. I mean, he's basically saying, I'm here to do all of it. I'm here to do it all. You can't do any of it. And I can do all of it. So what, what a great scenario, you know? How about you just say yes to me? How about you bring this to me and say yes to what I'm offering you, which is freedom, and then I will give it to you. The Holy Spirit will live inside of you. He will manifest my presence, and we'll get through it. I'll walk you through addiction. I'll walk you through forgiveness. I'll walk you through the relational conflict that's there. I'll walk you through every bit of it. I'll walk you through your illness. I'll walk you through suffering. I'll walk you through grief. I'll walk you through everything that you bring to me, beginning with, life, with crossing from death to life, and then I'll teach you how to live all of it. Jesus just says, hey, I'm here, I'm here to do this. I'm not here to, to, to be a military leader. I'm not here to be uh, some sort of political force. I'm not here to do all the other goofy things that you're looking at. I'm here to do the, the one thing that you need, which is make you alive. And then once you're alive, then we really get cooking. And I can teach you how to do every single bit of it. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's offering this good news to them. And today is no different than that day in that regard. Like this same good news is held out to you and to me. Like we, we have these Bibles and we're holding this and we're saying this wasn't just back in that day at that synagogue. This is going forward to today as well. It's the same thing applies. But only you know where that hits you though. You know? Like it's going to land differently with all of us. I th- it just blows my mind that, that here's Jesus able to meet every single one of us right where we are in this. And do the same thing for every believer all over the planet, all the time. Like, he's that big. So you might hear this and you might say, well, I am a Christian. I'm not struggling physically. I do not believe that I'm being oppressed by anything. I think I'm in a really good place with God. I really think that's great. Then celebrate that. I'm not here to try to convince you that your life is terrible. If you are in a great place... And the whole time God is just, he's, he's whispering to you. He's saying like, just look what I've done in your life. Look at, look at what I've done and thank him for that. I celebrate that. And I believe that there are definitely people in this room who are in a great place. But if you are not, if you are not, this good news is for you today. And we want to give you a chance to say yes to him. Now you can say yes to him without anything else happening. You can say, you can walk out of this door, out of this room right now, say yes to him, and you'd be fine. But maybe, maybe it's helpful to you to say yes in some different ways. And I know that I've explained this the last couple of weeks. I'm going to do a lot of explaining, so just be okay with it. But I want you to listen because even if, even if you're kind of used to doing things this way, maybe God has something different for you today. Now, if. If you want to pray about one of these things, I'm going to be down here, down front. Brett's down, down front already. Brother Bob will be down here. Meg will be down here. Taylor will be down here. We'll just kind of be standing along the front row. Christopher will be here. We're just, going to, we're just going to be standing there. And if you're like, hey, I would just like someone to pray for me about this, then that's what we're there to do. If you want to come, these steps are open for you to come. If you just want to come and kneel and pray by yourself or come with some friends, that is wide open to you. We'll have our communion stations uh, these are, uh, as an option. You don't have to be a member of this congregation. to. You just have to be willing to say yes to what Jesus is offering to you.
If you want to tithe and give financially, worship in that way, or leave a prayer request, those stations are there. But here's why, why we do all these options, because we're all different. You know? For some of you, uh, it helps you to have to physically move across the room. For some of you, the best thing you can do is just stay seated and just be with the Lord. And so as we sing and as we just kind of move around, I, I always like to think of, of, of it in this way, is that Jesus himself is offering, like he's offering you communion. The men that are serving this morning, they're going to they're they're represent Jesus, but he's the one offering you his body broken for you, his blood poured out for you. And so if you need to say yes to him in prayer, in communion, in singing, in tithing, in anything, whatever's going on, just say yes to him. No one's ever regretted saying yes to Jesus, ever. And so I want to invite you to respond uh, in the way that connects with who you are and how you're put together. Let's stand. I'm going to pray for us. We'll respond for a few minutes and then we'll, we will go. Jesus, I um, I love you, and we love you, and it's stunning that God himself would come to us. We who were poor and in need of your help, we who were captive and blind and oppressed, And that God himself would lay out a plan to redeem us in person. To bring that freedom himself. That you didn't send a delegate. uh, You didn't pass this off to someone else. You looked and you said, no, my my children will be rescued by me in person. Because I want them to know me. I want them to know that they're loved because their father came to rescue them. And so, God, for those this morning who are captive by sin, who are spiritually dead, who just, who for the first time are realizing that they need to say yes, like that first yes to you, I pray that you would, uh, you'd show them what to do with that. That you'd lead them to talk to someone about that but most importantly, they would talk to you about that. For those who are struggling physically, that we, they would be quick to pray prayers for healing, that they would ask others to pray for their healing as well, that we wouldn't worry about if it happens or not, or any of the other things that are hiccups so much of the time with us, but that we would look at you and say, you've, come to, you've brought liberty to all of us, like to our entire being. And God, for those who are oppressed, whatever it is that's keeping us from living the abundant life that you uh, hold out to us, God, would you help, um, would you help to bring humility there? Just a quickness to confess, a quickness to just be honest about what's going on quickness to ask for help, to ask you for help, to ask their their community for help.
bottom line is in all these situations we were not meant to live in captivity or in a, under oppression you made us to live forever you made that possible and so we want to say yes to you this morning so as we sing and as we respond God would you just meet us where we are and may you be glorified by our response to what you're stirring in our hearts this morning